Welcome to episode six of the Bookshelf Sisters podcast. Today we're going to be talking about a book called Girl in Real Life by Tamsin Winter. I'm Mary and an Osborne partner and I'm going to be talking about the book with my sister, Chris. Hi, I didn't know you were an Osborne partner, Mary. Tell me more. Right, well, Osborne.com have decided that we're now partners and we are joined with them rather than being a separate group called Osborne Books at Home, which is nice because I think we share a, a few more resources together more easily under this umbrella. Yeah, sounds like a really good idea. So getting back to today's book, which is Girl in Real Life, this is a book that's aimed for... I would say transition between junior to secondary school and would be would have interest across years six, seven, eight, possibly older and even into adults because I really enjoyed it as a book. Yeah, I really enjoyed it too, but this is a slight departure for us because we normally do do young adult books. Uh, Mary might want to explain why we're going to uh, this age group this time. Well, we have two members of my book group that are 12 years old and some of the books we read and talk about aren't really suitable for them. So the decision sort of that I made is that every alternate book would perhaps be something that they could share and enjoy with us and would still have interest to the adults in the group. About five or six of us read the book and we all gave it quite positive feedback. Briefly, it's set in um, a household where the girl who's the protagonist has had her whole life put online by her parents from pre-birth. And it's become such a popular blog that it, they've actually made it their business and their career now. So it, they're at a point where they can't really just stop it, even though it's got to the point where Eva, the star of, of the blog, is actually really a bit fed up with it and wants life to be more of her own. Um, and it starts the book when her mum decides to blog about her first period and Eva is you know, completely distraught by this and, and is just sort of totally humiliated and doesn't want her parents now to be involved with her her um her whole life anymore. And her mum is not really listening to her because she thinks that she's just having a little bit of a tantrum about it. So she just carries on and uh, the story sort of develops from there really. Yes. I think it's something that has been building up for a while with Eva that she realises that although when she was younger and less self-conscious, she was very happy to do weird stuff on the internet for the, for the blog, she's much more aware of the consequences of what she does. She's much more aware that people in her, her class, for example, can see the blog. She... Um, finds it really difficult when people um, make kind of laugh at what she's been doing or bully her by by kind of um, 
turning it turning some of the things she's done into ringtones or whatever so uh, I think the period bit was basically the last straw that she felt really very embarrassed to have that sort of thing put on the internet as I think probably most children would. What we felt after we sort of read the book really was that there's lots of different things that could be highlighted from this if you were using it in a school although it's a great book just to read and enjoy and relate to as a teenager or preteen, I think. But if you wanted to use it in school, it could also be um, quite interesting to, to give you lots of ways into talking about things like the dangers of the internet, um, friendships. And that's actually one of the conclusions that we came to, that it was a lot to do with friendships as much as anything else and how friendships change and how difficult a time that is for children with friendships changing and what you can do about it really. It's also got a sad bit in it about coping with uh, a grandparent who dies and that is a very common experience for children of that sort of age as well. So we thought it would fit in probably with PSHE um, lessons rather than being a literacy sort of book. One of the themes on it, which I thought was interesting, was the whole thing about uh, family vlogging. And um, at the time I read it, I just thought, well, nobody would actually do that. But now I've had a look and I can see that it actually is quite a big thing. There are lots and lots of uh, channels similar to the one described in the book. Um, so the All About Eva channel is, I suppose, characteristic of some of these things, except when I was looking at them, a lot of them seemed to have a lot of children. So that was uh, people with like families of six and they would do lots of videos about the kind of things that their, their children got up to and so forth. And I suppose what this book is doing is, is looking at that trend and then looking at the, the key question in it, which is, are these children being exploited and can they consent to actually be on this kind of channel even if they look like they're, they're keen on it, even if it looks like um, their parents are doing it out of love for them, is it actually right? Is it something that um, violates their human rights? And unfortunately, they don't have any of the same rights as child performers do. So there's points in the book where Eva's got to spend a lot of time rehearsing to do certain promotions and things like that. So she's beginning to have a life that's a bit like say, somebody who's working in the movies or whatever, but she doesn't have any protection about it. And although there's an argument, you know, it's up to her parents until she's fully an adult as to what she does or doesn't do. At the same time, children have their own rights as well. And this book is about where you draw this line. There's a lot of violation of privacy in this book. Eva's drawings get shown without her permission, they control her image all the time. They make her wear uh, weird T-shirts. She gets in trouble for changing her hair, for not wanting her room the same way, the way that her mother set it up. All of these are partly things that arise out of this kind of vlogging environment. But I suppose they're also things that, in a smaller way, maybe teenagers of the same age are dealing with. They're dealing with that interface between being their parents' child and being their own person. Yeah, I totally agree. I think um, 
actually a lot of children probably love it but they might reflect back later on why did i do that and the trouble with the internet is things are there forever yeah i can remember in lockdown seeing families on the telly that were doing stuff um like there was a musical family that were doing somehow i can't remember what they did but they it was at the time very seemed very appropriate and very fun but whether you'd want that all the time is another matter and the other thing in this book is that the parents were actually making a living out of this her dad had left his career job to become her sort of uh the manager of her her vlog and looked sought to get the promotions that would give it an income because that's sort of how the internet works and i don't know how many families have ever done that the thing i was going to say is that i do know on the internet that there are the blogs aren't necessarily about the family but the families are sometimes used within the blog and the blog is sort of again a promotional thing really but there is a whole genre of family vlogs and they are big business one of the things that comes up in relation to that is um, do the parents have a right to make money out of their children? Basically, it's child labour. The parents are making money out of their children and therefore should at least be paying them for it. So these are the sorts of questions that are being asked about this kind of blog. And although this book doesn't really go into that side of it, I think the point that Mary makes is, is that because it's a family business, it's very hard for... Uh, either to say no I don't want to do this because it might mean that they lose their house their lifestyle everything so it puts a lot of pressure on her as well yeah and it's a, it's a great topic to talk to children about because you know they're living in this age we didn't go through it ourselves um, even my son who's 26 now didn't go through that my son was 13 before Facebook became the sort of social media thing that everyone had so he didn't have it at that pre-teen sort of vulnerable age well really vulnerable age it's still vulnerable you're still vulnerable after that but um, less so I think I mean there was forms of social media around we were talking about that I think ourselves with um, things like Bebo and uh, MySpace and there are a few little things that my son did at that time with my brother as opposed to as opposed to with me that will still be there forever and I don't think he's unhappy about that but you don't know do you how how uh, other people might have used it a lot more in a different way but I think the other thing the book is talking about is um the way that the internet has changed people's lives and I think that's why they've got a character in it who is her grandmother and so when she's visiting her grandmother, she's kind of in an idyllic world where nobody uses the internet. And so it's kind of contrasting those older values of a life before the internet with the kind of life that she's living, but also the kind of ways the internet impacts on her school life. So they're all asked to do an essay on would we all be happier in a world without the internet? And she tries to imagine what that would be like. And because her mother, who is perhaps more addicted to the internet than her, is incapable of not filming her, not sharing everything she does on the internet, it's um, 
it's actually was impossible for her to spend, I think, a weekend without without some contact with the internet. And then there's probably the way, I think there's a little bit in there about the way the internet has changed how people get knowledge for school, so how they use it for their homework and things like that. That's quite sad, really, because the internet is such a big, vast place to search that without some sort of guidance or knowledge of where to go, um, you can be trawling around a lot of stuff that is particularly useless or you just copy and paste big chunks of it into work and say this is what I've done and I have known children to do that to be honest I've known I've known university students to do that (laughs) so it doesn't stop at primary school no no it's kind of needs to it needs to be properly taught from primary school onwards so they know what they what's acceptable to do and what isn't I mean, I, I'm still guilty in my generation of not wanting to go anywhere without my phone and not wanting to go away on a holiday without sort of, especially as I've got a little business, of being able to sort of keep in touch with it. Um, I can't imagine just just sort of being able to say, right, a whole week, I won't look at my phone at all for anything. Yeah, you'd have to warn people. It should you? be quite doable, really. You'd have to warn people because if it's your primary mode of communication, it's shifted from being somebody would ring you on your landline or contact you in a different way. So perhaps you do have to use them because they've taken over from other forms. But I suppose there's advantages as well because you probably wouldn't be able to do the sort of business you do very easily without the Internet. Well, I think you could miss out on things. I could do a lot of my business without the internet, apart from my payment, taking my payments, mm-hmm. because I'm very much do face to face events. But I wouldn't hear about all the events, or you know, have can't be able to quickly contact people without the internet. So yeah, I I agree. The another thing that came up in the book was a little bit about hacking into the internet and changing oh, yeah. things, and that was that was quite interesting because again. Some children are very good at that sort of thing. You know, they can, their brain just works on that sort of level. They know how to change things and alter things and get perhaps behind. They shouldn't be able to get behind security walls and things, but, you know, usually there is weaknesses somewhere and they have inside knowledge of passwords, etc., which enables them to do things like that. So that's quite interesting. And it is a thing that happens. Yeah, again, it makes people aware of the kind of vulnerabilities of trusting to what you see on the internet or trusting to putting personal stuff about yourself on the internet. Yeah, so in all in all, it's really funny. And it's quite a funny book. It's written Mm. with a a very sort of human touch. I think the author is a teacher herself. Uh She certainly worked with lots of that sort of age group. So I think she's very able to capture their voice and you know how they would be in real life so as it as it is in the book so it's it's really very readable very relatable for the age group certainly my um readers enjoyed it i don't think it's the genre of choice for one of the 12 year olds particularly she's more into um sci-fi and fantasy books i think but she still enjoyed it as a read and she could imagine boys in her class sort of being exactly like the boy that 
was a bit of a pain in the book as well. well there was one positive boy representation in the book, wasn't there? So it was a Spud, the boy next door, who was a yeah. geek, or called Spud of Nerdophobia. We liked him. I think our reader, one of, my, one of the book group, actually would relate quite well to a character like Spud because she's a little bit of a tomboy herself and she would be friendly with someone like that. At, but at school, she would probably just ignore him and have her own group. So uh, I think that character does work quite well and it is quite realistic. I did like his mad science experiments. It was He was quite an amusing character. Some of what made the book was, I suppose, the things that were a little bit out of the ordinary, so not just the theme of it, but things like the Danish background that um, the family have in it. So it's kind of added a little bit of depth, having some characters who perhaps weren't that important to the plot, but yet made the book into something a little bit more interesting and different to read. Yeah, I probably haven't got all that much more to say about it, really, other than that I would love to recommend it to a lot of people. I've read a couple of her other books as well. Oh, yeah. Written. She's written two other books. Um, one of them's called Being Miss Nobody, and it's about a girl who's um, selective mute. And how? She, and again, it's got a little bit of internet in it because she's always been like teased and bullied a bit, but she sort of uses the internet as a little bit of a revenge. Um, so I won't say too much more about that. It's a long time ago I read it. And the other one is called Jemima Small, and it's about a girl who has been brought up by her dad on his own, and he hasn't realised that she's got really big. And she's also got this name, Jemima Small. And that people suddenly start sort of laughing at her a bit. And when she goes to secondary school, she gets weighed and gets told that she's going to be joining Fit Club. I don't know if it was called Fit Club, but that's how she saw it as. And it's about finding herself and being comfortable with how she is. And again, it's very funny, very human and very relatable, both, both those books. They're all quite different, but they're all, you know, they've all got that same sort of sense of humour and um, readability about them. Uh, in fact, being Miss Nobody is quite sad, to be honest, in lots of ways, but not particularly from the girl, Miss Nobody, but from other events that happen in the book. Right, well, I wanted to talk briefly about another book that I'd read, partly because I thought it'd be quite good to look at one that's aimed at slightly older children or young adults, and partly because we've already discussed the book by this author. So this is More of Me by Catherine Evans. And Mary's also read it, and I think I'm right in saying that you thought it was a bit weird, Mary. <laughs> Definitely a bit weird. Shall I give a little synopsis of it? I get, I'm really going to take it mainly from the uh, cover blurb because it didn't seem much point rewriting it. But basically, it's about a 16 year old schoolgirl with a very strange life history. So it says on the back Tiva's life seems normal, school friends, boyfriend, she's got them all. But at home, she hides an impossible secret. There are 11 other Tivas. So once a year, Tiva separates into two, leaving a younger version of herself stuck at the same age in the same house. 
watching their new Tiva live for life that she's been living. That's the set out of the book. It's quite an un- unusual idea. I think it's not one that I've seen done in the same way before. I, I really like the way somebody um, on Goodreads said <laughs> as a recommendation of this book. If you're interested in clones and want a story that accurately addresses teenage neuroses, this is a book to pick up. It's kind of a book that's both set in the present day in a very realistic school environment and at the same time has this totally impossible premise that each year she's basically um, being recloned. I can understand why anyone reading that will think, well, that's a bit strange, that couldn't happen. And I think it's almost the impossibility of this actually being able to happen that is part of the strength of it as a concept because it drives the story along in a way that that is a bit different from other approaches to looking at how you feel about being 16, how you feel about your life changing. So in the case of this book, Tiva thinks she's losing her mind and we as readers think, yeah, that might be it. That would actually work. Surely she doesn't really have these sisters. So the past 11 Tivas are all in her house, which um, with her mother and nobody goes to that house because they all think it's a haunted house. So they keep everybody out of the house. And she begins to think, well, has anyone actually ever seen these these other Tevas? You know, could she just be imagining them? And maybe she's just losing her mind. So basically, she's got this secret, which is that there are 11 of others of her. But she can't tell anyone. She can't tell her best friend. She can't tell her boyfriend because they all think she's mad. And you can understand that. You don't think... Yeah, just tell them. You think, hmm, yeah, I don't think they'd really go for it either. So I think that helped make it work. I think it was quite a hard concept to carry off, and Mary might disagree that it actually worked at all. But I've noticed looking at reviews of it that although some people didn't like it, a lot of people really loved it and found it quite uh, moving. There's also an element of body horror in it, the physical reality of knowing that at the end of a year you're going to be um, cloned. It's presented in quite a horrific way, using sort of body horror tropes that evoke childbirth, death, change, or maybe less dramatically the changes to your bodies you go through when you're growing up or if you're ill. I thought it worked from that point of view. I also thought it worked because when you're growing up, at each age, you're a slightly different person. You're in slightly different things. You change a lot. So you can almost see that each of her clones who's stuck at the age she was when they were when they were that age is, is her, but isn't her. Mary, what did you think? Yeah, I, I think that's a fabulous description, actually, Chris. And to be honest, when she got to the point where she was saying, oh, perhaps it's all in her mind, I was thinking, well, is it all yeah, in her mind? Yeah. I even... Even sort of like myself was thinking, is it all in her mind? I I won't say I didn't enjoy it. I did enjoy it, but I did find it totally weird and strange at the start. Mm-hmm. And I thought I felt more comfortable reading Beauty Sleep. Actually, yeah. Even though Beauty Sleep was also quite horrific uh-huh. in lots of ways, I just found I sort of found Beauty Sleep slightly more believable, <laughs> even though it isn't. Well, it probably is slightly more believable. I think that also the concept behind beauty sleep of being put to sleep and cryogenesis or whatever it is that allows you to wake up and be cured of a disease is actually one that 
is not just around in, I mean, it hasn't happened yet in reality, but it could happen. People talk about it. Whereas this one, although it's based on sort of biology of things like green, insect biology, basically, uh, parthenogenesis and things like that, it's not that common a thing that anyone thinks would happen with people. Though the, cl- the clones do come up, come up. There's quite a lot of cloning around, like, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen Orphan Black, on TV, so that turned that was a series where it turned out that this character had about I don't know six or seven clones in the end of herself. So although they weren't at different ages, and she didn't have to stop living because of them, there was quite a lot of the same person running around. So it's not completely out there. <laughs> I mean, cloning is talked about in the fact that Dolly the sheep and other things have yeah. been cloned. I suppose the other thing I liked about I just thought about today when I was thinking about talking about this is that this actually connects quite well with Girl in Real Life because for a start, her original name is Eva. She's called Teva, but her that was the first version of her was originally Eva. And also this whole business of she can't get rid of her, her past selves is a bit like Eva can't get rid of her past selves in the vlogs. So as Eva says in Girl in Real Life, every moment is preserved like the jars of pickled red cabbage my Danish grandmother far more kept in her larder for years. So you can almost see this um, uh, more of me talking about some of the same things. The fact that as you grow up, you will leave behind both in the memory of your parents and nowadays on social media and photos, um, versions of yourself that you no longer are. So I thought it kind of captured that quite well. And there is a bit of misuse of social media in More of Me as well, because one of the clones uh, starts pretending to be Eva. So you do end up with her finding that she's um, there's something on Facebook that she has allegedly said that she hasn't actually said. So I thought it kind of picked up a few of the same themes. She didn't have the same problems with her best friend that Eva does in Girl in Real Life, but she does have this very uh, close friendship with a best friend who is brainy, beautiful and hardworking and has been like her friend forever. And not quite the same vibe as in the, uh, the other book, but I thought it brought up something that me and Mary have discussed, which is that there's maybe a slight um, cliche or a trope in these books, which is around having, uh, in this case, a best friend who is Indian. So although it's written by a white writer, there is this, this sort of trope of a best friend being the part that does the diversity within the book which is it's good to have that diversity. And also if you are, I guess if you're a white writer, you don't really want to necessarily make your main character uh, come from a culture that you yourself are not part of because that brings different problems with it. Thank you, Chris. That's brilliant, actually. That's brilliant um, connections as well. And I think they're both books that people will enjoy yeah i know i really i really did like i possibly like more of me more than beauty sleep i think just because it was so strange and an unusual a concept so i'm hoping there'll be another book out by Catherine evans sometime soon i will try to find out for you (laughs) thank you okay well i think we'll probably end it there 
Both of those books are available through me. My my name is Mary Cousins, but my on Facebook you can find me as Mary's Bookshelf, and on Instagram too. So just let me know if you would anyone would like a copy of the book, or also if you would like to join the book club. Our next book that we're going to read, we did mention before, it's called Ace of Spades by Faridar Abiki Aimide. That's as good a pronunciation as I can get. So Faridar, if that's wrong, I apologise, but I've tried to get it right. And this is um, written by a black author set in a school in America, actually, but she is a British writer. That's interesting because, yes, I was I was wondering about that as I was reading it. But why I say it's interesting is that somebody who was commenting on um, more of me said, oh, yeah, it's a really good book, but the editors should have made the school life more like American school life. And it, it's like, oh, really? Does that have to be a thing that if you're if you're writing in Britain, you're not allowed to write your books about um, British school life? Yeah, that is interesting, actually. Both uh, Tamsin Winter and Catherine Evans have clearly set their books in England. But it's interesting that this one isn't set in England, although she is a British writer. I think maybe perhaps the American market might have something to do with it because it has been sold over over there uh, for a very big sum, I think. And a lot of our books do get marketed in America as well. Okay, so I will say goodbye until next time and look forward to having our next chat. Thank you very much, Christina. Goodbye, Mary. Bye.